All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. We began a series a few weeks ago on the armor of God. We've gone through the introductory verses to that, but we're going to read the whole passage beginning in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We're going to be dealing with the first article here in the armor of God, and that is our loins being girt about with truth. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit. God, may we listen on purpose and allow the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to change our thinking to be like your thinking. Father, I do pray you'd have your way in our lives, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've said each week that I believe that the answer to all of our real problems are found in the Scripture. And when it talks about what we do, he talks about how we feel, and talks about the problems that we may have in life, that the answers for those things are found in the Word of God. Now, in the Scripture, we have a number of things. We have the doctrines that are given to teach us and to ground us. We have the warnings that are there to alert us and to prepare us. We have the rebukes to correct us, and we surely need those. We have the promises to sustain us. And we have the encouragements in the scripture to comfort us. God has provided all that in this book. It is all there for his people, for his sheep. The book of Ephesians begins by telling us to believe right about certain things. We're to believe right about our security, the security that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank God we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Not only that, our purpose for why we're here, because we're to do all to the glory of God, that everything in the church is to be done to the glory of God. And we also see he is our protection. We also understand the doctrine of salvation, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. And then he instructs us on living right, how we're supposed to live. That should be a product of our believing right by telling us things that we are not to do. Now, there are some people who have a hard time saying, being saved by grace and be told what not to do and what to do. But you understand that when you got born again, you were born into his family. And he is the head. He is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. And he has sat down and told us very clearly what's right and what is wrong things that we should not do, and things that we should do as believers. You say, what if we don't obey? We're still his children. 
I mean, after all, I had children. We set down rules in our home. They didn't always obey them. And guess what happened when they didn't? There was discipline, just like Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. That's what God does for his children. He doesn't, I didn't throw my daughters away. He doesn't throw his children away. Uh, when we get to the middle of chapter 6, he wraps up all these things that he had to say that I've just mentioned uh, by telling us that we are to take on the whole armor of God because of the problems that confront us. He's not leaving us ignorant about this. There are the wiles of the devil to deceive us. There is the battle to defeat us and there is the evil day to defile us. All of that. And so he prepares us by giving us some commands. Those commands that prepare us, he says, be strong in the Lord. We are not to be a defeated people. We've got the instruction we need from the word of God for all that the world, the flesh, or the devil uh, has to throw at us. We have what we need, and thus saith the Lord. So he says, be strong in the Lord. We're to put on the whole armor of God. Now that lets me know as I'm reading this passage of scripture, this is not a buffet set. This is not where you walk through, pick out the parts of the armor that you want, leave the others behind. He says, put on the whole armor of God. We each need it all. And then he tells us to stand. We sure don't want to be like the children of Ephraim in the book of uh, Psalms in Psalm 78, who although being armed and carrying bows turned back in the day of battle. There is a battle going on and we are to stand in the battle. It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. That's what the gospel singer said. The order is the order that a soldier should put their armor on. So when we start out, after giving us those commands, he says in verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, this is just very basic. This is where we begin. We don't begin with feelings. We begin with truth. There's a battle going on. And it's truth. If you try to depend on feelings in the battle, you're going to find yourself running and defeated. It's not about feelings. Now, he created us as emotional beings. But if we're going to be victorious in the battle, if we're going to see things right in the battle, we've got to go on something better than that. That's what armies try to do. They try to train their armies to fight in the battle no matter how it's going. And they are to stand, they're to do certain things in a battle. If they, if they want to win, it's going to have to be that way. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves running, turning like cowards, and then they're going to be defeated. The very foundation of what we are is seen in this having your loins girt about with truth. These, this armor protects us from the wiles of the devil. This truth does. The truth protects us in the battle, and it keeps us clean in the evil day. It's truth. Matter of fact, what you're going to find, just a little preview here, what you're going to find as we go through the armor, every piece of armor is connected with the Word of God. Every piece of armor is connected with the Word of God. Your relationship to the Word of God will really show itself out in how you go through the battle. You say, I want to be everything that I should be. I want to glorify the Lord. And whatever the battle is that confronts us, then you better be committed to thus saith the Lord to the truth. In John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, 
Then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, you know, we get lied to by everybody today. I was talking to Brother Tonge about that just a little bit ago. You can't trust the news media. Anybody here trust CNN or CBS or ABC or or, uh, P... Let's see, what's what's public public broadcasting, PBS uh, or Fox? Do you you trust them to tell you the truth? Do you trust the Democrats or the Republicans or anybody else to tell you the truth about anything? I don't. You say, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, I am. Matter of fact, verses 12 and 13 make me think that. It is all conspiracy, but guess who's behind it? It's not the Republicans or the Democrats. It's the devil. See, I know this is real. God's already told me about that. And, uh, you know, good night. The wickedness that goes on. We have modern-day educators, supposedly, who are rewriting history, and the false history now becomes the truth. You understand, history depends on the writer, not the doer. It's how they write it. By the way, also depends on who it is that writes it. Whoever wins, they get to write history. And that becomes the history of the world. And guess what? They often have a tendency to lie. What can we believe? Our whole direction in life is determined by what we believe. Do we have a truth? You say, well, I've got some good textbooks. Yeah, but they all have to be revised. I've got a book, thank God, that doesn't need to be revised. It was written right the first time. Never needs to be updated. It's true from beginning to end. I've got the truth. To get anything else would be receiving a lie. Just like you take a pure, pure glass of water, put a dash of poison in it. You don't have a glass of water anymore. You've got a whole glass of poison. What we want is the truth, and we have that in the Word of God. What is your attitude toward it? According to Ephesians 4.14, he has given us prophets, apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Why? That we not be blown about by every wind of doctrine. I mean, we've got a place where we can know that we can stand. That's the truth. Seven times in the New Testament, God tells us, he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. And he does it concerning different subjects. In first, uh, Romans chapter 1 and verse 13, he deals with the gospel. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 25, with the wisdom of God that is the truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, he begins to let us know what the things that were written in the Old Testament, why they were written so that we'd not make the same mistakes or do the same things that the believers back in the Old Testament did that were wrong. He recorded those things for us, for our learning, for our help today. And then in chapter 12, so that we would know the gifts and use the gifts correctly. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning spiritual gifts. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning our tribulations. The trials that come on us, he says, they're for your benefit. God's working something. Or in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he deals with those who've already died and gone on to glory. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, he's dealing with the last days. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those last days. 
You see, God didn't write these things to conceal things from us. He did not write these things for only a few believers to come up with the secret things of God. That worries me when people think they have found the secret things of God. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. In our salvation, I'm sorry, John chapter 20 and verses 30 and 31, he says, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. John did not record everything that Jesus did. Everything that John put in his book is so that we would believe right about Jesus, and believing right about Jesus, we would have eternal life. What a great purpose. He tells us what it's about. And you go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Somebody comes along and they say, Preacher, I don't feel saved. I don't care. What does that even mean? You don't feel saved. Show me anywhere in the scripture where it tells you how you got to feel if you're saved. You don't find a book verse that says you got to cry, you got to laugh, you got to weep, you got to shout. You don't find a verse that says you got to do that. Any of that. He says, I've written this book so that you may know. What does the book say? Does the book say you're saved? And it makes it very plain. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Have you believed on the Son? Have you taken the Son as your Savior? Are you trusting in Him alone? And see, we are to be grounded in this truth. The armor begins with truth. Let your loins be girt about with truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Thy word, speaking to the Father, thy word is truth. In 2 Corinthians 6, 7, the scripture says, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Earlier on in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 and verse 13, that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Colossians 1, 5, in the word of the truth of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13, ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us. Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. It does make a difference what you believe about salvation. You either believe right about salvation or you're lost. But in order to believe right about salvation, you've got to believe right about who God is. You've got to believe right about who Jesus is. Just because somebody calls their God Jesus doesn't mean that he is Jesus. You understand that? Even when Aaron made the molten calf there in, in Exodus chapter 32, he said, Israel, these be your gods. And then he declared the next day would be a feast to Jehovah. Those gods weren't Jehovah. Those were false gods. He may have called them by a good Bible name for God, but he was calling idols God. That's blasphemy. You understand? You've got to believe right about God. You've got to believe right about Jesus Christ. You've got to believe right. Hey, he wants us to believe right about the second coming. He wants us to believe right about judgment. He wants us to believe right about 
Separation. He wants us to believe. I didn't get any grunt. I didn't even get a grunt over that separation thing. Now think about it for a moment. There's believing right. Separation has nothing to do with how you feel. It has to do with us, saith the Lord. Take what God said. Well, I, my, but my culture, your culture's wicked. My culture's wicked. My culture's been murdering babies at the rate of over a million a year for the last 50 years and doing it legally. I live in a wicked culture. I'm not going to allow the culture of the United States of America today to tell me whether or not the Bible is right. The Bible is right. The culture is wrong. It does make a difference what you believe. I'm not seeking for a new truth. I have found the truth. To depart from the truth is to go to error and a lie. The battle is always over the truth. If you don't start out being grounded right in truth, then you are at the mercy of the devil and the battle and the evil day. You have no hope if you're not grounded in this matter of the truth. Now, with that, go over to 2 Timothy chapter 3, just a moment. We're going to look at a lot of scripture here in just a minute. But first, I want to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want you to notice, beginning in verse 15, now he's writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, giving him a lot of instruction. You get to verse 15, and he says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So the scripture tells you how to be saved. Well, that's good. Able to make thee wise. Evidently, from a child, he was made wise. That ought to take care of whether or not children can get saved. Isn't that right? Now, we go on. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, wait just a second. We just did 13 or 12 weeks dealing with our King James Bible. And Brother, uh, Brother Snyder did an excellent job with that whole series. If you missed any of it, you need to go back. And matter of fact, even if you were here for it, it wouldn't hurt you to go back and look at it again so you're grounded in this matter of truth. It does make a difference about this matter of the translations. I mean, these people who are for all these different translations don't think that the words matter a whole lot. That's why they use so many different words. But let's take, for instance, the RSV, the Revised Standard Version, which was given to man back in the 1880s and 1890s. Just this verse alone, I just want you to notice the difference. This verse says very clearly, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. The RSV says every scripture given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That intimates that not every scripture is given by inspiration of God. But the verses that are given by inspiration, every scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable. Well, who decides whether or not which scripture are his? Oh, the person. The person is the one who ends up sitting in judgment on what is the word of God. I could quote to you a whole bunch of verses right now that a lot of professing Christians don't believe. And they don't all have to deal with separation, but obviously some of them do. 
But he says all scripture, that starts way back in the book of Genesis. It doesn't start with Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. All the way back in the book of Genesis, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Now, if he says all scripture, what's he dealing with? He's dealing with Genesis. He's dealing with Exodus. Believe it or not, he's dealing with Leviticus. And he's dealing with the next book, Numbers. And he's dealing with the next book, Deuteronomy. And then I'm not going to go through all 66 books for you. You can get in the table of contents and read that yourself. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Everything here from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation is given by inspiration of God. But that's not all. And is profitable. Now, he's writing to New Testament believers. He's writing over 30 years after Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins, was buried and rose three days later from the dead. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. It tells us what to believe. Doctrine is not a dirty word. It is a good word. Everybody believes doctrine. But some people believe in false doctrine. Jesus tells us about it. Revelation tells us about it. For instance, you've got the doctrine of the Pharisees. You've got the doctrine of the Sadducees. You've got the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You've got the doctrine of Balaam. He said, by the way, of those two, of which things I hate. There's a lot of doctrine that God hates. Why? It's false. This book has right doctrine in it, and it teaches us right doctrine, tells us what to believe. I don't think I've shared this in a long time. I used to share it a lot. But when I pastored Tennessee Ridge Baptist Church, we were just, as a matter of fact, the city limit sign for Aaron, Tennessee, and Tennessee Ridge, Tennessee, it was on one side, it said you're entering uh, Tennessee Ridge. On the other side, coming the other way, it said you're entering Aaron. They use the same signpost for it, same thing. Well, you drive in down from Tennessee Ridge into that main street going through Aaron, and you'll see off to the right after you go past the high school, if they're still there, two white buildings. Both of them say Church of God. I was visiting up above them one day, knocking on doors, and I, I, I knocked on the door. A lady came to the door, and I said, do you go to church anywhere regular around here? She said, yes, I go to the church of God down the hill on the right. I said, really? I, you mean the one on the left is a different church of God? She said, yes. I said, man, I thought since both of them said church of God, I figured they both believed the same thing. I said, what's the difference between the church of God on the left and your church on the right? She said, we don't believe in doctrine. Now, I didn't laugh in her face. I wanted to. Because if you don't believe in doctrine, that's believing the doctrine of no doctrine. An atheist believes in the doctrine of no God. Whatever you believe is your doctrine. Do you understand that? The word of God is profitable for doctrine, all of it. Not only that, and then he says, for reproof, it tells us where we're wrong. For correction tells us how to get right. And then for instruction in righteousness, it tells us how to stay right. Now notice the next verse, verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect. 
And that word perfect has the idea of being complete, truly furnished unto all good works. I have everything that I need to be the Christian that I ought to be right here. Everything. Everything. You've got it too. If you've got a Bible like this, you've got everything that you need. And he tells you, first of all, starting out there in verse... Well, let's see. Let me get back to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, the scripture says an awful lot about God's book. Let's just take a look at a number of verses. We'll do this quickly, so keep up. Go over to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. We're going to read a lot of verses. By the way, I could quadruple the number of verses we're using that basically say the same things, the verses that I'm going to read. There are hundreds and hundreds of verses that deal with God's truth. But notice verse 7 of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is what? It's perfect. As a matter of fact, in Revelation, or not Revelation, but Romans chapter 7, he tells us that the law is good and that the law is holy. But we go on. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping of them, there is great reward. You see, there's not just a blessing in having the Bible, but it is obeying the Bible, living the Bible, where you get the blessings that he's talking about here. We continue on. Go over to Psalm 33. 33. Notice verses 4 and 6. 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. Look at verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Now go over to Psalm 119. There's a lot of verses in here that we could quote in between uh, where I just told you. But in Psalm 119, we could read the entire psalm. Do you realize in Psalm 119, out of all the verses that are in this one psalm, there are 176 verses, only three of them do not make some reference to the Word of God. The Word of God is called the law. The Word of God is called statutes. It's called precepts. And as we read through, you'll see some other terms, judgments. You'll see other terms that God uses referring to His Word in this psalm. But we're just going to go through a few of the verses. For instance, look at verse 4. In verse 4, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Go down to verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. I love the psalmist statement in the next verse. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander 
from thy commandments. Go to verse 43. 43. He says, and take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. Verse 45. And I, now look at this. This is a powerful verse. I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. I believe that probably in the professing church today, of today, people who claim to be evangelical or at least somewhat conservative, that would say that they believe the Bible, that they believe God's word, that a majority of them would tell you that if you have to obey the Bible, you're a legalist. They think that it's not liberty, but it keeps you in bondage. Jesus obeyed all the Bible. He was not walking in bondage. He did it willingly. The psalmist said, again here in this verse, uh, let's see, what was the verse I just read? Verse 45, I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. You want liberty? Walk according to God's word. God's instruction is right. He wrote it for our good and to keep us from evil. Let's move on. Go over to verse 75. 75. He says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hath afflicted me. Down to verse 86. All thy commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help thou me. You go over to verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Go down to 104. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. The next verse, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto thy path. And then he says in verse 130, down to verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. 142, in 142, he says, thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and thy law is the truth. Verse 144, the righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding and I shall live. 151, thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. You go down to 160, thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Now, folks, that's either true or a lie. If that is a lie, then throw your Bible away. And if the book is a lie, then you can't put on the armor of God because you wouldn't have a clue what it is. You see, the book's either all true or it's not. It's either true or a lie. It claims to be true. Claims to be given by the Holy Spirit of God. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. So wait, go over to Psalm 138. And I want you to notice verse 2 of Psalm 138. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word 
above all thy name. Now, hopefully, you would never think of cursing. You would never think of using the name of the Lord Jesus or the name of God the Father in vain. I mean, we have a commandment about that, don't we? And God means it. As a matter of fact, he even pronounced death upon those who did it. God would not hold them guiltless in the day of judgment. He says that he puts his word above his name. And I believe, I think I know what the reason is. Because your name is only as good as your word. If people can't trust your word, they're not going to think much of your name. You're going to keep going back to a, a used car salesman that lied to you and sold you junk when he told you it was good? It been worked on? Why? His name's no good. His name's no good because his word's no good. God's put his word above his name. See, either this is what it says it is or it's not. You've got to make a decision. In Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 and 6, Scripture says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. We're told in Isaiah 34, verse 16, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. You want to see truth, seek out the book of the Lord and read Isaiah 40 and verse 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh a rock in pieces? We get to the New Testament, Matthew 4, 4. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Funny thing about all these people that want you to go to any Bible but the King James Bible. They will tell you that you've got to have all these different translations in order to have the words of God. Well, where in any of those do you have the word of God? Well, they don't know. It's like God can't find his word. And God's not powerful enough to put it together someplace where the church can know what it is. Thank God we've got it. Go back and watch the videos that Brother Brian did so excellently. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Remember, have your loins girt about with truth. That's what he said. First piece of armor. He said, man, I want to be armored up going into this spiritual battle. I don't want to be defeated by the wiles of the devil. I don't want to be defeated by the battle. I don't want to be tainted defiled by the evil day, then you start out very right at the beginning. Have your loins covered with the word of truth. Notice in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am come, I am not come to destroy, but to what? That's the statement of Jesus. He didn't come, he didn't destroy any of it. He didn't destroy, destroy the book of Genesis or Exodus or Numbers or uh, Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Notice, he says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Let me ask you, has all of it been fulfilled yet? It hasn't. 
there's still some things to be fulfilled. I mean, after all, we got the tribulation to take place. Uh, there's going to be the millennial kingdom. There's going to be the uh, loosing of Satan after the thousand-year reign of Christ. There's going to be the great white throne judgment. There's going to be the new heaven and the new earth. Guess what? His word's still good, according to Jesus. But he's not done. Look at what he says. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so... He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, what? The least of the commandments. The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, whether you keep them or not, if you're saved, you're still going to heaven. Whether you can keep his commands or not, both of these, both of these groups that Jesus mentioned are going to the kingdom of God. They're going to heaven. So, we are not legalists, dear friend. We believe that God's children ought to obey the scripture. When he talks about the foolish man, the wise man, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 20 and 24, or 24 and 25, you find that the wise man is the man who heard the word of God and did it. The foolish man is the one who heard the word of God and didn't do it. The rock in that story is obedience obedience to God's word. The person that builds his house on the rock of obedience to God's word, that's the one that stands in the storms. Because both group, the wise, the foolish, they both get storms in life. You want to be able to go through them? You want to make it through the wiles of the devil and through the battle and through the evil day and not be tainted? Guess what? You need this first piece of armor. Man, this is true. This is vital, absolutely important. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. The Bible is true, and it is truth. It is God's truth. God help us to just simply take God at what he said and obey it. God wrote it for man to understand it, it's not what it means to me. It's what it means to God. That's what counts. Don't be putting words into God's mouth. Take him for what he said. Now, what is it good for? According back to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17, that the man of God may be perfect. That's thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That means in doctrine. The word means teachings. We know from scripture that there is true doctrine. There is false doctrine. So I need my loins girt about with truth so that I will believe right. Now, we've covered those verses over and over again. First, what happens, though, to people is first they begin by questioning whether the book means what it says. And it's not long after that they're questioning whether or not it means anything at all. Many modern believers want to use the word for comfort but reject it for correction in living. And yet, the majority of the scripture, the book tells us 
Old Testament, New Testament tells us how to be saved. Do you realize the majority of it tells us how to live? But you've got to get saved before you can live pleasing to God. Because Romans 8, 8 says, They that are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't please God until you get born again. You've got to have the spiritual life that comes from being born again. And we could go through the books and we go through the epistles. We find doctrinal teaching and then it tells us how to live over and over again. We find that through the epistles of the apostle Paul. Tells us what to believe, then tells us how to live. What we're to do, what we're not to do. Even in Ephesians, if you look back in chapter 5. In chapter 5, he says in verse 1, we're to be followers of God as dear children. And we're to walk in love. And then in verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. The things he's talking about there are not to be named once among believers. Those things are not to have any part in our lives. He goes on to say, neither filthiness nor foolish talking or jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and of God. And then he says, let no man deceive you. Well, if you are grounded in truth, he can't deceive you. This is why you've got to be grounded in the truth of God's word, having your loins girt about with truth. Now that leads us then to comfort and correction. God meant everything he said about salvation and he meant it. He meant everything that he said about living just as much. Christians have wrong attitudes about the word. And what happens is, see, unfortunately, well, not so unfortunately, but preachers change in churches. Now, this church is an unusual church. It's been around for 40 years. It's had a total of two pastors. 40 years, two pastors. What a blessing. Now, I'm getting near the end of my run. I know heaven's getting closer and closer all the time. So I'm getting close to the end of my part. Who you call as a pastor is going to be different about some things. Now, there are some things we can be different, and it doesn't matter. But when it comes to thus saith the Lord, another pastor can destroy the work. By the way, unfortunately, sometimes the man while he's there changes. What are you going to stand for? You see, you need something more permanent to believe than Brother Allison, are more permanent to believe than Brother Stark. What you have more permanent to believe is the Word of God. It doesn't change. This is why I feel one of my main jobs as a pastor is to get people committed to thus saith the Lord, whatever God says, because it's not going to change. 20 years after I'm dead, the Word of God still will still mean exactly the same thing that it means tonight. If you're committed to God's word, then bless God no matter what comes on. You're just going to stay the same. Unfortunately, too many will be like Rehoboam. The Bible says of Rehoboam, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and all Israel with him. It always shocks a pastor when a new pastor comes in, and so he's got some new ways. Now, methodology is one thing. But he ends up changing standards and everything else. And you're thinking, well, the Bible didn't change. See, 
you've got to decide what are you going to follow? You're going to follow the Bible or what? Get in the book and be careful that no man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, when we refuse to hear what we don't like, we tell ourselves lies. And here's one of the things, we'll say something like this. Well, I'm not convicted about it yet. I'm not quite sure what that means. I'm not convicted about it. You mean whether or not you feel convicted about something decides whether or not something is sin or not? No, what God says is sin is sin. Even back in the book of Leviticus, God provided for Israel sacrifices of sins through ignorance. In other words, when they ignorantly sinned. The important point of that, when they ignorantly sinned, they still sinned. It didn't change what they did because they didn't feel it was wrong. That doesn't change the fact that it was still wrong. Now, the Bible makes those things plain for us. Or they'll say something like this. Well, that's your interpretation. I've heard that so much. I, you know, normally I'll say, well, what's your interpretation? And they, don't, they haven't figured out one yet. They're just, they just know it's not what I just told them because I just told them what the book just said and they didn't like what the book said. You sound like Eve. I mean, the devil comes along. God had said, the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. And the devil comes along. Did God really say that? Oh, you'll not surely die. Oh, so then she did her own study. It looked like it was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was food to be desired to make one wise. Still don't know how she figured that one out. But nevertheless, she did her own study. So it was okay to her. But when she ate, she died. When he ate, he died. And all of us have to die because of that back then. God fulfilled his word exactly like he said. They'd all been safer instead of doing their own study, just doing what God said and not eating it. All the heartache that comes about comes through disobedience. Then they'll say something like legalism. Oh, you're just being a legalist. And I'm going to tell you what I believe the definition of legalist is to most people. It's any standard that a preacher has that you don't, that makes him a legalist. A legalist is someone who has standards I don't have. No, that's not a legalist. That's not biblically a legalist. A legalist is one who says that you've got to do certain things in order to go to heaven. Salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you put your trust, your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Seeing yourself as the hopeless sinner that you are. And put your trust in him, not what you do before you get saved, not what you do after you get saved, but in him alone. Anything else is being a legalist. But to say that we don't do this and this because God says don't do it, that doesn't make you a legalist. That's just obeying God. And we just obey him. Why? He's my heavenly father. I want to please him. He's told me what pleases him in his word. Or we'll say something like this. But it's in the Old Testament. By the way, you can turn on the thing up here above my head. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But this matter of legalism, let me say this. Is being against adultery legalism? Is being against abortion legalism? I mean, abortion is murder. 
But really, if you're going to follow the word of God, read Psalm 139. Bible's real plain. Read the first 10 verses in the book of Jeremiah. Bible's real plain about this. I can give you other verses, but I'm not preaching on abortion right now. Is preaching against alcohol legalism? Some people think it is. How about preaching against immodesty in dress? Is that legalism? And yet the truth is a person can be immodest in dress and still go to heaven. Because modesty in dress doesn't take you to heaven. We don't have a picture yet, do we? Good, good, all right. Didn't want one yet. Well, how about this matter? It's in the Old Testament. Well, God doesn't have to repeat everything in the New Testament for something in the Old Testament to be wrong. If God says it's wrong, it's simply wrong, period. Let's take this matter. Uh, one of the things we're dealing with in our day is um, we are dealing with uh, the drag queens, which are simply men who are transvestites. They're wearing women's clothes. It's what they're doing. Do we have a verse on that anywhere in the scripture? Is there one verse, just one verse anywhere on that? Actually, we've got more than one verse. We, got, we have verses in the Old Testament and we've got verses in the New Testament dealing with that. There is such a thing as how women are supposed to appear and how men are supposed to appear. Why? Because God made them male and female from the very beginning. God made a difference between men and women. He created them differently. He not only created them to look differently, he created them differently, created man out of the dirt, created women out of the rib of man, out of the bone of man. And the Bible says he created the man to be in the image and glory of God, and the woman to be the image and glory of the man. That's in the New Testament. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But doesn't man look on the outward appearance and God look on the heart? Well, God does look on the heart, but he's not blind to your outward appearance. And your outward appearance, by the way, in 1 Peter chapter 3, makes it very plain to us that your outward appearance should show the hidden man of the heart. It should show what kind of a Christian you are by how you dress. Guys shouldn't be walking around looking gangsta. What is that? Man, I think that's cool. Yeah, because you've got a warped sense of what's cool. We're not told to be cool. We are told to be holy. I know I'm getting all around it, and I don't think you guys have come up with it yet. There is a verse. I didn't cover it in too much detail because I was running out of time this morning. But yeah, turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Not there yet. Okay, we're not there yet. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Now I want you to notice verse 5, and I want you to notice some amazing things. We're going to talk about some of the other things that are in Deuteronomy chapter 22. But in verse 5, he says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. Now, Regardless of what that says right there, look at the end of this verse. This is what makes this verse so important. For all that do so are abomination unto who? Not unto the Baptist? No. Unto the Lord thy God. No matter what it said in the first part of this verse, 
This last line makes this verse extremely important, no matter what it says. Because all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, my Bible teaches this. It teaches not only that God is holy, but it also teaches us, he says, for I am the Lord, I change not. God has, he's just as holy as he's ever been. That's not changed one iota. Anything that was an abomination to the Lord 6,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, two years ago, is still an abomination to God today. For all that do so, all right? So I read the last part of that and I say, you know, I need to go back, pay attention to the first part of this verse. Because I surely don't want to do something that is an abomination to the Lord. Now, right, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I can't lose it. So does that mean this is not important? Well, no, if I know God, if I love him, then I ought to want to please him, not do that which he absolutely hates. What is it? He says, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Wow. So cross-dressing here does not have the approval of God. Not only doesn't have his approval, but it is so abhorrent to God that all that do so are an abomination to the Lord thy God. I know of one preacher that got up and he said, I almost had the assistant pastor come in the back door dressed in a dress. And everybody laughed. Everybody knew how embarrassed that he would be. Another preacher heard that. And I heard the tape of that man's message. Because while he was preaching on this verse, he actually had one of his assistant pastors come in the back door in a dress. Now, I don't know what he was thinking, but it's still an abomination. And even if I had assistant pastors who would do it, I wouldn't let them. And I don't think I have one that would do it, but you understand. Because it doesn't change this verse one bit. Now, somebody says, well, what about that next verse? If a bird's nest chanced to be before thee in the way of in any tree or on the ground, whether they be young ones or eggs, and the dam sitting upon the young or upon the eggs, thou shalt not take the dam with the young. Okay. He goes on. But thou shalt in any wise let the dam go and take the young to thee, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest prolong thy days. Is there any place where he said that if you disobey that, it's an abomination to the Lord? He doesn't say that about that, does he? He tells us later on that they were not to plow. For instance, down here in verse 10, he says, Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Thou shalt not wear a garment of diverse sorts, as of woolen and linen together. All right, that's what he told Israel. But did he say that that was an abomination to the Lord. No, he didn't. Now, those things are not an abomination to God. 
We're not dealing with the matter of sin there, but definitely in Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5, we are. Now, go ahead and show the picture. This is from November 17, 1988, edition of USA Today. Right here is the article. And it's rather lengthy. It goes on to another page. What's interesting about that, you've got two very famous people in America. One is Oprah Winfrey. The other was Phil Donahue. Now, he hasn't been on the TV for quite some time, so I'm sure there's a number of the younger set who wouldn't know who that man is. But he was a famous talk show host. Now, what had happened back in 1988, you'll notice the headline at the top is, What'll TV do next? That... Those pictures are shocking. Well, they were in 1988. They were shocking. And yet, I doubt even in 1988 that anyone would have had a lot of problem with Oprah in her size 10 jeans. But USA Today was absolutely astounded. They have an article about men's skirts. Matter of fact, in a uh, section of the Parade magazine that was out of Detroit, Michigan... They had a whole story they did of men in skirts, men working construction jobs in skirts, using that big hack jam, uh, jackhammer in skirts. So it says down below, you may not be able to read at the bottom, Oprah puts on her size 10 jeans, Phil trots out his red skirt. Now, that's a shocking picture. Shocking picture. Why? What made it so shocking in 1988? I mean, hey, this is long after the hippie revolution of the 1960s. What makes that picture so shocking to just regular Americans? What made it shocking? Come on, don't be bashful. Someone offer. Phil Donahue's in a skirt. Isn't that, what's he doing? He's cross-dressing. That's what he's doing. What is she doing? Oh, same thing. Now, one of the uproars that we have in our country today is that the fact that a number of these leftists have put men dressing up like women in public schools to teach kindergartners. It's an abomination. It's wicked. It's ungodly. But we've been putting women in the classroom teaching kindergartners dressed like that for years. Why is it suddenly wrong that men are doing it? I would just like somebody to give me an honest answer. What makes the one okay and the other one all right? Not scripture. Yeah, that's the thing. It's always been wrong. That shows you how decadent our society has become and that our churches have become because any pastor in even most of our independent Baptist churches that gets up to even suggest that men or women wearing men's clothing is wrong, kick him out. He has blasphemed the Trinity. You see how far down the road we've gone? You see what our society has become? 
so that today, if you use a male program, uh, pronoun for a male who doesn't want to be referred to as a male, that you can be sued. And in some countries, you can go to jail for simply telling the truth. That's 1988. By the way, Oprah had just lost 88 pounds. That's why she was so proud of that. Phil Donahue had a guest on his, on his show by the name of Boy George. That's not his real name. That was his stage name, Boy George. Boy George, a rock and roll singer that wore the makeup and wore women's clothes. I did not personally see this, but I had it told to me. I believe it was, it was true because of the person that told me. It was a very truthful person. And they said, Pastor, I'm sure you didn't see it, and I hadn't. Boy, George was on the Phil Donahue show, and Phil Donahue was taking calls. And this, well, not a call, but it was a woman in the audience who stood up. And she said to Boy George, I'll dare you. I said, what? I'll dare you. Get on national TV. And here you are, a man wearing women's clothes. And he said, ma'am, I can see from here you've got pants on. She said, I'll have you know these pants were made for me. And he said, well, I'll have you know this dress was made for me. And it was quite expensive, too. Does that make it all right? Now, I didn't preach on pants tonight. I preached on truth. Having your loins girt about with truth. You can take it off the screen. But I guarantee you people will be talking tonight. I guarantee you there'll be some internet comments tonight. I guarantee you. How dare you suggest such a thing? Hey, I'm not suggesting it's being done every day. Absolutely astounding. And even though God says what he says about it in the word of truth. Oh, I don't like that verse. We're above God. We get to edit God's word and cut it out. No, we don't get that privilege. Having your loins girt about with truth. Now, if we're going to be victorious in the battle, it's not about pants, it's about truth. It's not about dresses, it's about truth. I could have gone into the dating thing. It's good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife. That's truth. It's just truth. What does it say? It's just truth. But those things get people so hot. They get people so angry. But it's truth. I'll tell you what. I don't want to be getting mad at God's word. I'm going to stand before him one day. I would like to stand up saying amen to God's word. If you're going to throw out that verse, you might as well throw out your whole Bible. Not that the Bible hinges on that word, but what makes you God over God? Truth. We say, yeah, man, devil, he's slick. There are the wiles of the devil to deceive us. 
There's the battle to defeat us. And there's the evil day, and it is an evil day to defile us. Therefore, I need to put on the whole armor of God, and it begins. Have your loins covered about with truth. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Help us to understand what this means if we're going to take the armor of God, beginning and literally ending with truth. We don't have the right to pick and choose. It's either true or it's not. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be surrendered to our great God, who even though we were sinners deserving hell and to burn for eternity, has given us salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now may we desire to please him in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.